Great. Come on back in. Okay, here's what we want to ask during this session as we keep continue uh, discussing becoming screen-wise. We want to ask this question. How are screens affecting us? I'm going to give you a few newspaper uh, headings, and uh, if you actually want to see the actual newspapers themselves, uh, this got the whole stack of Wall Street journals here that tells you to have, have these uh, articles if you want to read them. First one from November of last year. Instagram serves up toxic video mix from November of last year. Uh, the rise of artificial intelligence is causing the decline of truth. I'm not anti-AI, but I will tell you that my concern about AI is it will not produce wise people. I think it's an attack on wisdom, but I think there's things to be, AI can be done, there's usefulness for it, but with discernment. A 14-year-old showed Meta how toxic Instagram can be. Let me give you a couple uh, quotes from uh, that particular, actually from the uh, top one, the, the toxic video mix one. Uh, quotes from the Wall Street Journal. The journal sought to determine what Instagram's Reels algorithm would recommend to test accounts set up to follow only young gymnasts, cheerleaders, and other teen and preteen influences active on the platform. Okay which would be a very normal thing for a teenage girl to be interested in, okay? So they're not setting up these obscure uh, um, settings. This would be a normal teenage girl who'd be interested in these sorts of things. Instagram's system served jarring doses of salacious content to those test accounts, including risque footage of children, as well as overtly sexual adult videos and ads for some of the biggest U.S. brands. So Wall Street Journal sets up these test accounts, says I'm a 13-year-old girl, this is what I'm interested in, and this is what Instagram feeds her. Over and over and over again. More titles. Suit alleges meta-aided uh, predators. Uh, online child predators. Meta is struggling to boot pedophiles off its platforms. That was a disturbing article. What TikTok shows youth about the war in Gaza, subtitled, the app can feed children a stream of intense, polarized, and hard to verify videos about the Israel-Hamas conflict. Okay, a quote from the December 7th article, the top one there. And I'm going to have to edit this just to read it to you. An account for Issa B. So they make up a, a, a little girl, uh, I-S-S-A-B, Issa B, which investigators posted photos purporting to be a 13-year-old girl from Albuquerque, New Mexico. 13-year-old girl. Attracted thousands of adult followers, adult followers, who deluged her with both invitations to join private chat groups and inappropriate, I'll just use that word, content featuring both children and adults. On Facebook Messenger, the account's chats are filled with inappropriate pictures from adult solicitors. Let's just put it that way as opposed to reading it. This is a 13-year-old, if not an actual girl, they set up an account for a 13-year-old girl. And she receives um, at least three to four times a week these um, soliciting from adults asking for inappropriate relationships and sending inappropriate pictures three to four times a week. You say, that'll never happen to my kid. Is that what you want to believe or what you know to be true? How are screens affecting us? Does the multiplication of screens strengthen the family bond or fracture it? Let me show you what I mean. Multiple screens... It introduces multiple worlds. Here's how this works. If it, I'm not anti-screens, although I will tell you, this full disclosure, we are a very weird family. 
our TV has been in our attic for the last several years. I haven't watched TV in that long. Now you think, oh, you're depriving your kids. No. I have a real live son of mine here, and he can tell you whether he's deprived. I won't even stand next to him and pressure him. He can tell you on his own. We do have a drop-down screen, and we have a projector and a laptop, and we have a daily news program, World Watch, which is from World News Group. Wonderful 10-minute news daily program from, uh, now it's not a Lutheran program, but it is certainly informed by a Christian biblical worldview, and it's designed for young people. It's not childy, it's not kitty. It's an, it, adults will appreciate it, but they do a great job of saying, okay, we have a story coming up that maybe for younger viewers is going to be sensitive. You might not want to watch this one. Okay, it's very helpful. They're very uh, upfront about their biblical worldview, so we watch our 10-minute uh, world, world Watch uh, program every day. Love it. Great news program. I have multiple um, video series of teaching series that I love to share with kids. And then we'll set up the screen in the family room sometimes and we'll watch like All Creatures Great and Small. We love watching that series. Or maybe we'll have a movie night as a family. But it's very intentional. We're going to set the thing up and it takes work. We'll talk more about this later. But it's not the default. So I'm not saying we're depriving our kids of it. But, so full disclosure, we're the weird family with no TV. And we'll talk more about that. But what's happened is, instead of being a family that simply sits and watches the same thing, and now we can talk about the thing that we watched, we are people who have individualized screens and individualized worlds, and if no one else is sharing in your world, you're very unlikely to talk about that world, okay? So I like to call this what we call familect, a family dialect. And you all have this to a certain degree in your family. Certain sayings or phrases or jokes or, you know, you can just say a certain phrase everyone's like, oh, I know the end of that. You know, so you all laugh together. And it only makes sense in your family. Someone else will walk in and be like, what are you talking about, right? It's a familect. And that, that's good. You want to have it because that's the glue that's going to hold the family together. But if you multiply screens, you're going to fracture the family. You will not develop the familect, all right? And according to at least one research uh, study, uh, that screen time reduces talk time between parent and child by 85% when the screen is on. That's a lot of reduction of talk time. Let me tell you about the experience I had, what was that, Thursday night. So uh, my two, well, my oldest is at school, so the next two, they had to go play for pet band. So they were gone that night. And I observed this strange phenomenon happened because we didn't have any screens on. I was sitting at that table, playing my 11-year-old in chess, and I actually won this time, which was a big deal, because sometimes he beats me. Uh, um, so I actually won at chess, and behind me, my, my wife was doing a puzzle with my daughter, and my 7-year-old was sitting on the couch reading a book. We're just all together, right? And I thought, this probably is not normal, right? But we had the most delightful time just being together and doing things in, in a three-dimensional way. How are screens affecting us? Okay, it's distorting reality. Because here's what we see on social media. Highly edited snapshots of dozens of different lives that we will mentally patch together into this idealized movie of success and happiness. And guess what? We don't have that. And we feel empty, and we will feel disappointed, and we will feel depressed. But the world that we have created in our mind doesn't actually exist. It's not real, okay? What does TV teach us about reality? I'm gonna give credit to uh, uh, Johann Hari's book, Stolen Focus, just so you know, this is where his, his research. He says, TV teaches you that the world is fast, that it's about surfaces and appearances, that everything in the world is happening at once. All right? My question for you is, does everything really happen in 30 minutes or an hour? Uh, is, is that the way the world actually is? Uh, Neil Postman, who was really uh, on the cutting edge in the 90s before the internet came out, but he understood screens, and I'll reference his book later. But he called this a now this world, right? So if you ever watch the news podcast or a news uh, program, and sometimes it's kind of like that. Now this, now this, now this, now this, and it's all disconnected, and um, it's all happening right now. Is that how reality is? No. 
So if I bring that expectation into reality, how how is that going to affect me and my kids? Let's talk about X, formerly known as Twitter. What's the message it's teaching us? Oh, and remind me at the end to give a plug for uh, my Kids Have Questions series on issues, etc. Pastor Clemmer told me to do that, and I already forgot. So remind me to do that at the end. What does X teach us? You shouldn't focus on any one thing for too long. The world should be interpreted and confidently understood very quickly. What matters most is whether people immediately agree with and applaud your short, simple, speedy statement. That's what X teaches us. Is that true? Is that the way reality is? And is that a healthy way or a wise way to process reality? And if I bring that expectation of reality into reality, how's that going to affect me and my kids? Well, Facebook. Well, it teaches us this, that your life exists to be displayed to other people, and you should be aiming every day to show your friends edited highlights of your life. And what matters is whether people immediately like these edited and carefully selected highlights that you spend your life crafting. And somebody is your friend if you regularly look at their edited highlights and they look at yours. That's what friendship is. Is that true? Is that how reality is? Is that a healthy way to process reality, a wise way? And if I bring that expectation into reality, how is that going to affect me and my kids? I truly believe that Facebook has eviscerated the word friend into this it's nearly meaningless word. I mean, nobody can have 200 friends. Sorry, you can't. Maybe, maybe one or two true friends. That's possible. That's healthy. 200? That's not, that's not real. That's not reality. What about Instagram? Oh, and I was just sharing this. This is great. So I, I mentioned the, uh, the headline here, right? Blood on your hands, right? They're, they're peppering questions to Instagram and Facebook and so forth. Instagram, full page. More than 75 of parents agree. Teens under 16 shouldn't be able to download apps from app stores without parental permission. Instagram wants to work with Congress to pass federal legislation to get that done. What they're saying is it's not our fault. It's, it's, it's the, 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 the uh, app, uh, the, the, the phones need to make it so that you can't download it. It's not our fault. We're trying to get the, those other bad guys to uh, fix the problem. Thought that was some damage control trying to be done by Facebook there, uh, or by Instagram. Okay, what does Instagram teach us about reality? What matters is how you look on the outside. What matters is how you look on the outside. What matters is how you look on the outside. What matters is whether people like how you look on the outside. Is that true? Is that the way reality is? Is that a healthy way or a wise way to process reality? Now, what about books? I'm not even discussing the content of books at this point. What do books teach us? Well, life is complex. If you want to understand it, you're going to have to set aside a fair bit of time to think deeply about it. There is value in leaving behind your other concerns and narrowing down your attention to one thing, sentence after sentence, page after page. Books say it's worth thinking deeply about how other people live and how their minds work. There's this great little poem from William Wordsworth. In common things that round us lie, some random truths he can impart, the harvest of a quiet eye. Okay, what he's saying there is the quiet eye is going to be still, it's going to think, it's going to meditate, it's going to reflect. This is not encouraged in a digital world at all. Uh, John Donne reflected upon that. He said, 
uh, well, I think John Donne actually came before that, but uh, as the devotion of a life, the way of words, of knowing and loving words, is a way to the essence of things and to the essence of knowing too. What is required for a, for a loving that is, is no, what is required for loving is a knowing. For a knowing that is loving is the quiet I. Okay, for a knowing that is loving is a quiet I. You're going to have to spend time. That's what we call a cognitive patience to know something. Reading will also build empathy. Marion Wolf writes in her book, Reader Come Home. Reading is a special place in which human beings are freed from themselves to pass over to others and in so doing learn what it means to be another person with aspirations, doubts, and emotions that they might never have known. She continues, for a moment in time we leave ourselves and when we return, sometimes expanded and strengthened, we are changed both intellectually and emotionally and sometimes we experience what life has not allowed us. Books will allow you to experience things sometimes that your life does not allow you to experience. Places you will never get to go. Ideas that you may never have otherwise encountered. And books will invite you into that world. I also want to commend understanding the scriptures this way. Psalm chapter 1, just very briefly, his delight is in the law of the Lord. This is the blessed man. And on his law he meditates day and night. See, the, the scriptures are actually designed to be meditation literature. It's not this sort of, I read that once thing. It's a spending time with some cognitive patience and the quiet eye that we're going to meditate on it. I'll have more to say about this in our next session, but how then you can do this and what it would look like in family devotions. I know I need to go, oh, I can't do that, that's too hard. No. You do not need an REV in front of your name to do family devotions. You will need a Bible, and you will need to know how to read. And that's all you'll need. Because all you'll need to do is read, even if it's just one paragraph. You will read it. And you're not going to say, what did it mean to you? No, you're going to say, tell me one thing you heard. And you tell me one thing you heard. And you tell me one thing you heard. And maybe someone says, well, I don't understand that. And you'll say, I don't either. Well, we're going to ask pastor on Sunday. And if you come up to Pastor Clemmer and say, we were reading the Bible as a family, once he wakes up from passing out, he'll be so thrilled to answer your question that you, you will have engaged in this communal conversation. It's that simple. This does not have to be complex. We'll talk more about that, that later. Two excellent thoughtful books, Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman, and that was in the 90s, just before the internet, but he was very prescient in what he saw coming. And uh, Samuel James uh, builds on Postman and really uh, brings um, um, a Christian worldview to bear on it in his book, Digital Liturgies. Marshall McLuhan, who Neil Postman based his stuff on, his famous line was, the medium is the message, right? Well, his point was that the medium affects the message. It changes the way the truth is told. So if the only tool you have is a hammer, what do you want to do with it? Everything's a what? It's a nail, okay? So the medium changes the way you see the world. If you give a three-year-old a hammer, they are going to find nails, even if that's your kitchen table. Understand? It changes the way they see the world. It, it just, it will. If you give your three-year-old a, a recorder, like a little instrument recorder, everything is a song. Usually a very bad one at that age, but you understand what I'm saying. Okay, so um, these books I highly recommend, all right? Highly recommend. Uh, and um, um, Samuel James writes this, I wanna highlight what he says. He says, rather than being a neutral tool, the internet, particularly the social internet, so he's talking about the social nature of it, isn't, okay, big word, okay, epistemological environment, okay, it has to do with um, knowing, epistemology has to do with knowing, uh, a knowledge environment. So he calls it a spiritual and intellectual habitat that creates in its members particular ways of thinking, feeling, and believing. He continues, the disembodied, fragmented nature of the internet is not merely a quirk but a fundamental part 
of the web's nature and thus a part of the story it tells. The digital liturgies of the web and social media train us to invest ultimate authority in our own stories and experiences as they separate us from the objective givenness of the embodied world. Okay, that was a big statement. What he's saying is that the internet trains us to think of people as disembodied. Okay, so through um, um, like their digital um, image, their profile page, uh, this sort of thing. Uh, you know that interaction with someone through social media is far different than in person. You also know that a lot of our young people struggle to look people in the eyes. And you ask them why, if they're honest, they'll say, because that's awkward and difficult. It's far easier. <laughs> I was in Iowa City yesterday on the way here visiting uh, someone in the hospital. We made a quick hospital stop. And we were riding the elevator up to, I think, the eighth floor at that time. We took us about five different tries to find the person. We got there, and we're on the elevator. There are like five of us on the elevator. It was just so comical. They're all on their phones. Because it would be really awkward to have to say, good morning, how are you today? <laughs> and I, 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 I'm not trying to be nosy, but the guy next to me, he's just scrolling. <laughs> you're not even reading what you're looking at. It's just the way that we're avoiding talking to the real people around us, right? So even if I, and I, I'm just waiting for someone to look up so I can say good morning to them. They never did, right? Trying to be pleasant. But our young people, that, that's, that's, the, that's the easier way. That way I don't have to look at you, right? Uh, Samuel James says, the internet trains our consciences to think of ourselves and the world in disembodied ways. And then he writes this, this habitat itself tells us a story, a story that humans are not essentially people with flesh and blood voices and flesh and blood and voices and facial expressions, but users whom we can sufficiently know from their words, profile pictures, and shares. So we are disembodying people. So remember my unpixelated three-dimensional world? We're definitely not living that. Okay, how are screens affecting us? And here's my question. Um, let's see if this works. Is this image over here true? You look at me and say, what do you mean? Is the image true? Does that question even make sense to you? If I ask, is the image true? That doesn't make any sense, because why? Because images don't, they don't live in the world of, of truth claims like words do, okay? Like if I were to say, today is Sunday, is that true or false? You would say, well, that's false. That, that statement lives in that world. Images don't live in that world. Now understand why that's important to understand. Because images will enter the mind, not through the door labeled truth, but through the one labeled beauty, or pleasure, or experience. But they often bring a truth claim with them. A social media and online gaming are no different. Right? They are smuggling a truth claim in. Images, and I also would add music, are a vehicle, think of it this way, images, movies, uh, music, they are a vehicle with a passenger. That passenger's name is worldview. Before your daughter gets in a vehicle, do you want to know who the passenger is? Don't you? Well, social media is a vehicle, music is a vehicle, all these are all vehicles. They all have a passenger, and his name is Worldview. Wouldn't you like to know a little more about him before your daughter or your son gets in with him, right? Okay, TikTok, YouTube, right? These are moving images that are telling a story. They're troubling, uh, uh, smuggling in truth claims. And we're not being trained to think in terms of whether it's true. We're being trained to think, do I like this? How does it make me feel? And we're caught off guard by this quite a bit. I'll give you an example with music. And adults in the room, this will apply to you too. You may pick some of your favorite songs from when you were younger. If it comes on the radio, you can sing all the words. But if you were to take the music away and read the lyrics at the supper table, 
you may find yourself blushing and saying, we shouldn't be reading this at the supper table. But you'll belt those words out when they're on the radio or whatever. Right? Because you have not been trained to think in terms of is this true and right and good and beautiful. You've just been trained to think, I like this, it makes me feel amazing. And it may. But it's, it's a truth claim coming with it. Now, this little image on here, this is just for fun. This is Vermeer's famous painting, right, of, of the girl with the pearl earrings. And of course, there's a big debate whether they're pearl or what the type of earrings are and who this girl is and so forth. This was created by AI. Isn't that interesting? And now that creates a whole new question of what's true and false and so forth. And so just for fun, I know it may be hard to see from where you are if you're far enough back. This is a famous one. Pope in the puffer jacket, fake. I did this one. Abraham Lincoln texting, fake. And Elvis playing basketball, also fake, right? AI, I, I had AI make the last two. Uh, so this whole image thing now, uh, I, and this will affect our young people and our elderly generation. Because now with the ability even to AI to mimic a person's voice and almost perfectly voice match and now they're getting video match. If you want to know how our elderly individuals are going to be scammed, it used to be, Grandma, I'm in, I'm in jail in Guatemala and I've got a cold, right? That's why you can't. They will perfectly voice match your grandchildren. And they'll be able to video match them as well. So the question of whether we can trust what we're even seeing so what I want to encourage, the importance for living in the three-dimensional world is becoming all the more important and our intentional about those interactions. How are screens affecting us? This is from The New Yorker from uh, several years ago. Let me explain this. Uh, you pastors may appreciate this, but um, this is what, this, this, is this gentleman here, he has a cell phone right here. Uh, and that little phrase there, incurvatus in se, is a classic Latin phrase in the theology world, means curved inward on ourselves. How are screens affecting us? Literally. It's bending us like this. Uh, and uh, uh, so literally doing that. Now let me uh, share that the next thing I'm gonna flash on the screen is several charts. I'm not gonna spend a long time with them. I'm going for the over overall effect, just for time purposes. But I want you to know this. Large studies of, of young people and, and young adults in our country since 2010. And 2010, 2012 is when the smartphone be, did the tipping point of going past 50% of uh, ownership in our country. Okay? So 2010, 2012, over 50% of the population has a smartphone. So since that time, we have seen, and I'll show you on the screen, we have seen declines in happiness and life satisfaction and life flourishing. We've seen increases in loneliness and anxiety and depressive symptoms and major depressive episodes, hospital admissions for self-harm and for suicide ideation, for suicide attempts via poisoning and suicide attempts in general, uh, suicide reported, uh, suicidal ideation and suicide rate. All have had dramatic changes. Okay, this would be far away. It's on your, on your handout as well. But, okay, U.S. teens with major depression. You see 2012 is when we get that kind of tipping point with 50% ownership in the population of smartphones. You have a 161% increase since 2010 in depression. This only goes to 2020. 145% increase in girls uh, since the smartphone becomes ubiquitous. iPhones released in 2007. 2012, it becomes you know, more than 50%. Percent of U.S. undergraduates diagnosed with mental illness, 134% increase of anxiety, 106% increase in depression. Uh, the ones down below, I, I'm not going to take time to read all of them. It's on your uh, handout. I'm going for the overall effect so you can just see the evidence. U.S. teens admitted to hospitals for non-fatal self-harm. These are huge. Those are huge spikes in terms of percentages. Just, just astonishing. Ages 10 to 14, for, for, uh, for non-fatal self-harm, 188% in our girls. That, that's, that's, 
anything else in our country showed this kind of spike in mental health. Don't you think we would be sounding some alarms here? I mean, I'm glad finally that you know, our Congress is trying to say something, that's good, but and even Surgeon General here was last year actually came out with a statement on this. Some are starting to, 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 uh, to observe this. U.S. teen suicides, ages 15 to 19. Oh, go back. You can see the increase. Uh, 10 to 14. Look, look at the numbers. Just look at the percentages. This one only goes to 2017, but this has to do with um, depressive symptoms, uh, especially the spike in females. This, this is this. It's shocking. It, it's absolutely shocking. This is just what the data shows. Uh, this is from uh, the, the researchers I'm quoting here, uh, Jonathan Haidt and Jean Twangy. She's got a couple of different books out. And Haidt, you can Google online. He has multiple, you know, long articles where he will walk you through all the data. So if you really want to be, geek out and go and look at the data, uh, I put. I think I put that in on your page, but th this name, Height and Twangy, are some of your major researchers who are doing the great work on this. So if you want to dig in more, those are the ones to dig in more with. Okay. Um, Reed Hastings, uh, CEO of Netflix, he says, you know, when you think about it, when you watch a show from Netflix and you get addicted to it, you stay up late at night. We're competing with sleep on the margin, and so it's a very large pool of time. What he's saying is this, our largest competitor now is sleep. That's what we're competing against. All right, researchers have found that sleep provides this time when the brain's synapses, the connections that are between the, the, among the neurons, right, they shrink back nearly 20%. And during this time, the synapses reset and they rest and they prepare for the next day when they will grow stronger while receiving new input. This is the, the learning of new things, all right? Without this reset known as, okay, big phrase, synaptic homeostasis, Synapses, or synapses, could become overloaded and burned out like an electrical outlet with too many appliances plugged into it. So in other words, sleep is important. Good things are happening in your brain when you prioritize sleep. And you can pull a couple late nights, but if you make this a habit, especially if you're staying up watching screens till all hours of the night, and many kids are, because they have their phones and their tablets and their computers and their devices in their bedroom. Parents, your kids are not going to like you if I tell you this, if you do it. But get the screens out of their bedrooms. Get them out. If you look at any of the data, oh, my kid's not on screens at night. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you really know that? Because kids, I'm going to tell them something. They won't like this. But they will lie to you. <laughs> they will. I'm, what? They will lie to you because the drug is that strong. Do drug addicts lie to get their drug? You better believe it. They will lie to you. Not because they're bad kids. But because the drug is that strong. All right? All right. TikTok brain. It's a real thing. Uh, this is what we call mental illness mimicking. It's actually trendy today, and I'm going to say this respectfully, but it's trendy on TikTok to have a mental illness. Okay? Because it will bring attention and it will bring empathy. Now, I want to be very clear. Mental illness is real, and we should give appropriate empathy for mental illness. We should uh, emphasize resources for these things. We should be helping people. But I also want to say that we have kids who are mimicking mental illness to get attention. They will actually have physical manifestations similar to what you might see in clinical cases of Tourette's syndrome and autism. They will actually mimic them. And this algorithm will actually reinforce and amplify and exacerbate this by continuing to feed these videos one after another, after another, after another to these kids. And, and, and what's happening here is Okay, here's a quote from an article. It says this, you can think of TikTok as incubating what is latent already in people. Okay, so we all come up with crazy ideas. Everybody does. You have, you have these silly things that come into your head. And it's like, well, what about this? Or oh, what, what if I'm this? Or, and, and then sometimes we can right away dismiss it and say, well, that's silly. But sometimes it'll stick there for a little while. And now kids are going to search for it. 
And now what happens is the longer it stays around, the, the stickier it gets, okay? And then it gets reinforced. So where the ideas come from? Well, number one, we're in a culture that's feeding our kids all kinds of these things. So they may just be, have the idea planted in their mind from what they viewed online. Or it may have come out of nowhere. It doesn't matter where it came from. The more we view and get fed this, it gets stickier and it gets hard to get out of your brain. So they go on. When you have inaccurate or problematic diagnoses or personality features being positively reinforced in the absence of real clinical intervention or diagnoses, you're going to have an individual who's going to concretize their identity around that. So they're going to basically, this is like, okay, if you ever get sick and you go to Dr. Google, okay, and you've already diagnosed yourself with 37 different diseases and you've got 14 different cures and you've already started self-prescribing. Okay, and if you put that in the hands of teens and they think, well, maybe I have this and I'm going to watch a thousand videos of it, by the end of it, you're going to be mimicking that. It's a real thing. This, this is also a major thing. Screens are an imagination thief. I got a few, I'm going to read a couple quotes on this. This is so important. This is from the book Screen Schooled, okay? Because technological forms of play typically require no imagination, the portion of the brain children use for it become underutilized, and as a result, do not fully develop. It's these forms of early play that can create imagination, which can lead to creativity later in life. Lacking in creative thinking can likely lead to difficulty with outside-the-box thinking, which is essential for problem-solving. Another quote, another quote from Screen Schooled. Rather than play in a world constructed by their own minds, worlds in which they are cops and robbers, doctors and patients, princesses and aliens, whatever they like to be, kids today play mostly in worlds created by others in the form of video games or other media content. Make-believe is a mentally rigorous exercise that helps a child develop critical thought and creativity. But kids are systematically replacing this important form of play with games created by the minds of others. I mean, you would never say, I'm going to let that TikTok video, or I'm going to let that whatever program teach my child how to use, uh, control their imagination. I'm going to let that unknown source be the thing that forms my child's imagination. You'd never say that. But that's what we're doing. Marianne Wolf writes in uh, Reader Come Home. I worry very much about the cognitive development trajectories of children who are so constantly stimulated and virtually entertained that they rarely go, want to go off screen to discover their own ability to entertain themselves with their own created hideaways, preferably outside, where tangled bushes and sticks become Martian land, where a tablecloth over a low-hanging tree branch becomes an Iroquois tent, where their imaginations become immersed in what they are doing and dinner is served too soon. I think those are, those are wise words. Now, I will tell you, if you eliminate screens in that way from your child's life, your life will get louder and your life will get messier. It will happen. Because the temptation to give them that pacifier called the iPad, whether they're this little or this big, is really strong. Because all of us have had that feeling of, I just need some quiet so I can think. I know. I have six kids. I know what it's like not to have quiet. My wife knows what it's like because I'm gone lots of the day and she, she's, we're the weird homeschoolers, right? So there she is at home with these kids. There's no coffee break when you homeschool. You don't. I'm a bad principal. I don't give my teacher a coffee break. But that's because the word mom gets uttered every 30 seconds, right? but we're unwilling to say, we'll let somebody else shape your imagination. I'm gonna be very, very brief on this. Um, so I partnered with Lutheran Family Service and one of our gentlemen has an entire multi-hour presentation just on this. So this is one slide in mine. Did you know the four, of the four out of the top 20 searched websites in the world are porn sites? Four out of the top 20. I mentioned earlier that video games are adding sexually explicit and suggestive material. Also, TikTok's For You feed funnels recommendations, even information on accessing outside links. 
And I will say this, it is affecting the way that young people date and their expectation for dates. I'm more than happy to answer questions on this at another time, but I don't want to um, say things that will give people ideas. But nonetheless, it is shaping their expectations for what dating will look like and what should be shared via screen. And it's expected. Thank you. Okay. Um, I will talk in the next session a little bit about some of the parental controls, but I'm going to say here. Safe things don't need parental controls. We are outsourcing content filtering to third parties. Do we trust them? So, yes, parental controls. And I will be the first one to tell you, this is hard for me because I cannot keep up with all of the technology in terms of how even to make the parental controls work. I'll tell you a funny story. My 19-year-old, who's a computer science major at Concordia, Wisconsin, so there's a device called Firewalla. It's a little box you plug in which provides a firewall basically to, to filter out content that you don't want. He controls that for me. <laughs> and he will sometimes text it because what it does is then, like if someone's in my house is trying to get on our uh, internet and they, it blocks them, he's, he's text me, who's trying to get on our internet? <laughs> he's in Wisconsin, he knows what's happening in my house and he's like, I'm like, well, how do you work this thing, Timothy? And he's like, well, he explains it to me. And so he teaches me. So I, I have to, that's because I spent my life teaching him, you know, how to, how to use the mental filter. And now he teaches me how to use the physical filter. But uh, so you have to, so <laughs> sometimes I have to get help with this, parents. But yes, parental controls. But I think the thing we forget is safe things don't need parental controls. Right? We have these things we have to keep putting parental controls on. Does anyone see any red flags here? Why do I keep giving this to my kids if I have to keep trying to control it? All right? Now, okay, I promised that I would mention issues, etc. that I'm going to do one thing. All right? I think I'm about at time. Okay, I've had the privilege to be on issues, etc. a few times over the last uh, few months, and I'll tell you the story on that in case you want to listen. But here's the premise. Several years ago, I started doing something with my confirmation kids. Uh, at the end of class, they're required, they have a little learning journal, just a blank notebook. They're required to write either one thing they learn or ask one question, e either or. And then I take that back to my office and I either say, they say, this is what I learned. And I say, that's fantastic, well done, or I'll expand upon it, or I'll say, let me just uh, slightly um, uh, redirect you and say, maybe you want to say it this way, or I'll or they ask a question and I'll say, it's a fantastic question, let me respond to that. And so, I, at first I started just writing it by hand, and finally realized my hand is going to just cramp up. I can't keep writing long paragraphs. So I started typing them, and I just print them and tape them in the learning journal. I've been doing that about four or five years, and uh, that document now is just shy of 700 pages long. Uh, because now what I've discovered is these kids are asking questions. Sometimes we're, some of them are asking four, five, six, some of them 10, 12 kit, uh, questions per week which takes a while to get through, about six to eight hours every week I'm spending just answering their questions. But some of those questions are like a uh, ask a question, I answer, they ask a follow-up question next week, and it becomes like a journal conversation. Some of them are about worldview things, some of them are about things that are going on in their home. Some of them are stuff they saw online, some of them are things they heard in the school. They don't know how to ask it, like they wouldn't be comfortable raising their hand in class, but they want an answer. So um, if there's a, a, a question that gets asked that I think a parent needs to know about, I'll text or call the parent and say, hey, um, this was the question this week. Just want you to be aware your, your child's asking about this and here are some resources to follow up with me or with your child so that you know. I'm not keeping things from parents. That's not my goal. Uh, so if there's something that, that gets asked that needs to be shared, I'll share that. And so uh, I had a conversation with Jeff Swartz at Issues, etc., about this at one point, and they decided they wanted to turn that into a series. And so what I've done is just uh, share with Issues, etc. every week. Here's four questions, five questions that I've been asked by kids. And so uh, they ask the question. I will offer the, the, the brief answer I give to the child. 
kind of, if you were speaking to a child, how, how might you offer a, a brief answer to them? And then I'll take a few minutes and just expand upon that for, to go into more depth for those who might a little bit want a little bit more depth. So that series is called Kids Have Questions. And that's actually the breadcrumb trail for how Pastor Hammer found me in Nowhere, Iowa through that sort of breadcrumb trail. So I would, you know, um, Without, I'm not tuning my horn, but I'm saying these questions are so important that I would really encourage you to check out Issues Etc., the Kids Have Questions series. I think you'll find that very useful for you, whether you're a parent, grandparent, pastor, whatever. Hopefully that's a useful resource. Now, someone give me one thing. Please. No screens in the bedroom. Yes. And okay, um, I would even discourage them from being in the bedroom for husband and wife. I would even discourage that. And husbands are like, well, I fall asleep to the screen. There are other ways to fall asleep. It just kills conversation. It's a conversation killer. Other, other, one thing, please. Just, they've just spiked. It, it is. This, and this picture, a lot of these parents have pictures of kids who committed suicide because they got lost in that world and they were fed lies and they believed them and they didn't see any hope. And the parents didn't know about it. Okay? Somebody else, one thing. Please. The 13 year old girl and all the men sending inappropriate material that is constantly everywhere. Doesn't just grab your heart and just send like ice picks through it? Yeah. Just the terror of like this, this is happening. This is, this is happening a lot. Right? Good, please. Here, no, right, next. Go ahead. Oh, that's exactly right. That's what, and I'm talking to educators, what they see, because that's what happened. They just, they went online and man, they discovered a lot of things and, and uh, it's, yeah, certainly been a problem. Yeah, please. Yeah. <sighs> they did the charts just, they just, they just, some will try. Now, I need to be careful to be as specific as possible so we, we can't necessarily say, can't, causation would be saying more than the data allows us to say, I think there's, my interpretation is there's definite contribution in, in causation, but there's at the very least a very strong correlation. And it may be exacerbating uh, mental health struggles that are already there. I don't doubt that. I do think it's also uh, planting ideas that weren't there before and then just sort of um, blowing them up. Please. <laughs> we are just as susceptible to some of this. Now, having a prefrontal cortex does help us in having the mature one, but it, it does affect adults as well. What time do I have, Nathaniel? 1048. 10.48, what time do I go to, 10.50, is that right? All right, we got two more minutes. Someone else give me a one thing or a question, please. Please. That's right. Safe things don't, it's like, isn't that like a, like a, well, duh moment, right? If it requires that many layers of rental controls, maybe it isn't safe, right? Right, exactly. Please, in the back. Oh, thank you. The 10 minute newscast is called World Watch. It's put out by World News Group. It, it, it is a subscription, so we do pay for it. Um, but what I appreciate about it is it's aimed specifically at school-age kids. Now, it's, it's not a kiddie program. I, as an adult, enjoy watching it, okay? But, it's, but what it does a good job of is it will define terms like GDP. Like, we just throw that out there. Our kids don't know what that means. Right, so it'll define what that word means. Uh, it, it, it does world news, it does US news, and it's very explicit that we are coming from a biblical Christian perspective in our reporting. Again, like I said, this is not a Lutheran program, uh, but they are most certainly Jesus-loving people who are trying to be biblically discerning in their newscasts. And so they also produce a World Magazine, which comes out twice a month also a great news magazine. They also have uh, news magazines for young kids, for teen kids, for high school kids. They have the whole range. They have podcasts. They have, uh, um, they have uh, the world and everything in it, which is a 30-minute news podcast every day. So if you have a podcast provider, that is free. 
Uh, we like listening to that news podcast if we're driving. We'll pull up world, uh, the world and everything in it, and I can get, have a half hour of news podcast with my kids that I don't have to worry about going, oh, you know, got to change the channel quick because I didn't hear that. You know, if you some news programs, you're going to hear things and go, wow, I wish I wouldn't have heard that, or I, I don't appreciate the way they're coming after it. World Watch does a good job, and the world and everything in it is the audio one on, on podcasts, and the World Watch is the video one. Uh, they do an excellent job, and, it, and it's been vetted first before it reaches the eyes and ears of your kids, which we love. So that's, that's that resource. Maybe one more, please. Have they done studies on how long it would take for a young child's brain to recover? Um, I don't know if I can give you a time, but I can tell you one of the best ways to help them recover would be reading aloud to them. We're going to talk about that. Um, but yes, the good news is children's brains are plastic in the sense that they are pliable. The, the earlier you start, the easier. Uh, those of us of a certain age in there, in this room, it gets harder to learn new things the older we get, or to remember things. You're like, not me. Like, okay, man. But it gets harder to memorize things, harder to remember. The, the, the brain changes. So, and the younger, the better. Okay, so in terms of the recovery, it's not impossible, uh, but it's going to be, take some intentionality of, of habits. And I can talk forever about habits, but the, the real key here would be the things you're going to repeat every day and be very intentional about habits. I'll make some recommendations in the next session about a book on habits, which I would highly recommend. But I think we're at time, and same deal as before. We are back here at 11, and my plan is to start right away at 11 so that we have as much time as possible to get content in. Stretch, come ask questions if you want, but please be back ready to go so we can get the last 50 minutes in.